Blog Talk Radio. Seven. 
excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. She teaches that humans have three parts, being of spirit, soul, and the physical body. I'm sorry. Sip of coffee. <clears throat> and these that all three are that each area takes care. We look forward to Pastor Deborah being an active member of the NASCA family for a long time. And she has already been a member of the NASCA family for a long time. And um, I want to say before I, before I introduce Deborah to speak, I want to say that Victoria is here also, and she will answer the phone when you call in. And the number to call in is 646-595-2118. Please call in, and you can ask Pastor Deborah a question or make a comment, and um, that would be awesome. And we also have Philip on the line, Pastor Deborah. So now I'll turn it over to you. Good evening, NASCA family and listeners. This is Pastor Deborah of Agape Love, Love is Here's Global Spiritual Teaching Ministry with a YouTube channel called The Hidden Kingdoms and a couple others. And I brought up to Annie tonight that one of the main things I always work with is healing. The event has occurred in childhood and it's left a lifetime of destruction and damage. And at NASCA, they're so good at trying to help people get on a road, get on a path, and get some healing. And that could be anything from emotional, physical, mental, biological. And so tonight, I'm open to any questions about anything, really. Um, Or we can just go in a direction of why is healing important? What does it look like? How do you get on it even if you're quite old? Are, is it possible to get healing, and what are you looking for to be healed? So those are just some areas. So I'll turn it back over to you, Miss Annie, and you can introduce Philip and anybody else. All right. Well, let's introduce Philip and see if he has any questions for us. Let's see. Hello, Philip. Are um, you there? Hi. How long have you been a pastor for it? Since about 1995, and about 10 years before that, I was a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I was nationally certified as a clinical mental health counselor. I did a lot of uh, legislative work for mental health counselors, both at the national and state level. I was in private practice. I worked in rehabilitation institutes, worked with disabled Worked doing neuropsychological testing with brain injury patients, spinal cord injury patients. Did a lot of teaching about biofeedback. Um, and then I did uh, private practice and going into nursing homes. I worked in juvenile detention centers, worked in the jails. Um, so I had, had a variety of what we'll call secular type work. And then um, I began wanting to pray with people more in the hospital and talk about the Bible more. And so I was sort of, I put my license down and I went to Bible school. Almost got ordained, but I didn't because I didn't fit with that particular 
non-denominational event, I had started working with hardcore multi-generational Satanists and witches and the occult, very powerful and deeply involved in spiritual things that I knew nothing about. And that kind of frightened the denomination. And I was dealing with things that they didn't quite believe in. And so we kind of parted our ways, and I went non-denominational. And I never really was called to have a church church building, but more like an outreach. So I've done it on, have a website, and I've done it in a flea market. You know, I do it at Walmart, more of just wherever you go. But I got thrown into, the you would say, the deep end of the swimming pool, and I had to learn very, very fast. I had to read a lot of books true stories, I had to learn the horrible, bad stuff, and I had to face a lot of darkness that people went through, and I had to understand what was going on, and I spent a lot of time just by myself because the things I was learning, eh, the church didn't quite believe in, and you didn't want to talk to people about it because they didn't quite believe it either. I struggled with it. And so I just studied, and I've been doing it since about 1995. Still doing it. Just, you know, doing it on YouTube, uh, doing it on the phone, doing it at Walmart. You know, that kind of thing. Does that answer your question? Yes. So where did you go to Bible school? It was called the Brownsville Revival. No, no, I didn't go there. I'm sorry. Uh, what the I was working through the Assemblies of God, and what they had was they had a lot of uh, people who wanted to be a pastor, but they were working a job. They call them bivocationals. So I did it at, like a uh, at home course. You had about I don't know three four hundred books you had to read. I was under the a pastor, an associate pastor at the church. We had to learn how to get sermons, write sermons. I was a part of his a group of people who were going to an actual um, school that was here in Pensacola. I was working a job. I had a family. So I did all mine. You know, you get the book. You read the book. You take. They send you the test. You send the test back. You were always under supervision, um, volunteered with the church. Because uh, at first I thought that maybe, you know, Christians at that time wanted to have licensed counselors to pray with them, like Christian counselors, and there really wasn't a lot of them at that time. So I had a really good idea that the church would hire me, pay me maybe twenty five, thirty thousand, 30000 and the other Assembly of God churches in town would kick in some money, and I'd be a therapist for the Christians, and they could come for free. Well, that didn't work out. So I didn't have a job, I gave, and I gave up my license. And then I started volunteering in every way I could at the church, uh, outreach ministries, the jail, uh, women's ministries, conferences. And stayed under the supervision of the senior pastor and the other associate pastor. Kept reading the books, taking things. Actually went to my ordination service, and, you know, they laid hands on you and said, oh, God's got a call on your life. I became licensed. I was a few steps away from being ordained. Uh, and then as you got into it a little bit more, you learned uh, there was a certain kind of box you had to fit in, which be, it was be a full-time senior pastor, associate pastor, children's pastor, 
youth pastor, praise and worship, or uh, an evangelist. And you couldn't be an evangelist till you had served two years full-time staff as pastor. Well, I was more outreach. I was dealing with some really uh, hard stuff. And uh, so they didn't really want to hire me. There wasn't going to be a place. And in most denominations, it's if you don't have a doctorate of divinity and gone to the right school and um, you're going to get on staff full-time, which a lot of females, you know, didn't back then. You just were on luck. And uh, you could run the women's ministry, but usually that was the pastor's wife and a few of their friends. So I was kind of, I got the knowledge uh, and I got the experience. I had a real hard time learning how to write sermons because the assemblies wanted it done a certain way. You know, you had three points and then you do this and then you tell a joke and then you tell a little bit more and you had to go about 45 minutes. I had a real hard time doing that. But I, I sort of got through it, and I'd go practice in my pastor's office, and he'd listen and then critique you and send the stuff off to the national. But it, as I was getting close to being ordained, uh, I learned a lot about being in a denomination and about pastors, um, how uh, the ordained ones work, how they did their policies and procedures how they did evangelism and money and stuff. But they, the leadership in our district got very frightened because uh, I was moving in an area that they didn't quite like to be in, which was dealing with witches and hardcore stuff that they said Christians couldn't have, And but yet I was doing deliverance work on Christians and passing some things out that the assembly said you couldn't have, but... They were there. So I parted ways. And um, then I just sort of became a teacher, and um, I took people in my home that were Satanists and witches, bad people. They stole from me, tried to kill me, poison me, and trying to help them. And um, but then I learned how I had to be a teacher, and I had to be on the phone, talk, you know, I had to understand things, so. Um, didn't get a lot of sleep because I'm either studying or talking to God, praying for people. And uh, then I went back as a pastor uh, into the jail doing Bible studies, which was real interesting in the women's. Then I'd go in the main jail here at where the bars are and do individual uh, stuff. If I'd help a licensed counselor, she couldn't help the lady. And then I'd go in and do... Uh, on the floors in the hardcore jail part with the harder people. And uh, then I took uh, pastoral training to be a, a hospital chaplain, paid money to do that, about four or five months, paid a lot of money. And you learn about how to help people die, and you are there with the doctors, the nurses. When people are dying, I'm in the emergency room, very comfortable with it, uh, with death and dying and stuff, and, you know, life and death situations. And praying with people, so I did the chaplaincy training. I volunteered in the local community mental health center, working with uh, those that the police arrest and um, put in what they call crisis stabilizations that are, and work with the long-term ones. Um, uh, volunteered in a lot of communities with sexual abuse, um, became a 
child advocate, guardian ad litem with child abuse with the eyes and ears for a judge, very comfortable in a courtroom, the lawyers, and um, did that, was a state victim's advocate, worked hospice, you know, to help people die and go through that process. I was always in the community volunteering, learning, growing, as well as volunteering with uh, churches and trying to uh, help people and People would call me on the phone, and um, they, they'd want help. And, you know, I did it all for free. I wasn't to charge anything. So that's sort of how it's evolved into now I make videos on YouTube, and I teach that way and um, just tell my stories, which is a lot of them. Does that help? Yes, very informative. Thank you. <laughs> it was – It's a you know, when you are – I was making a career change now, and as Annie will tell you my story, is I grew up with a mother who was mentally ill, brother running away. I don't know what's going on. Nobody's talking. Don't even get the birds and the bees. And uh, But I wanted to know truth. I read true stories, biographies, when I was younger, always reading, because p- parents weren't talking about anything. And, of course, schools, that was, you know, back in the 50s. I had, I wanted, when you want to help people, you first have to want to know the truth, even if you're just wanting to help yourself. Say, I know there's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but I've got to find out the truth. That's the starting point for healing. You know, we grow up in a family. Most of it's a mess. We don't know why our parents do what they do. We don't know why things happened to us the way they did. We don't know. And nobody's talking. I grew up in a military family, which has a code of silence because uh, everything is always reflected back to the husband. And if anything gets back, you're having marital problems or family problems, the husband may not get promoted or he might get kicked out, so you don't talk. And I was an officer's daughter. You don't definitely don't talk. But I grew up around military men who were fighters, protectors. They'd go lay their lives down. I grew up with airplanes and bombs and officers and uh I learned about dedication to nations, to helping people. You know, World War II, was, my dad actually worked with General Patton. So I have that protective uh, warrior-type identity, wanting to know truth. So you start there, even if you something happened to you, you go, what happened? Why would people do this? So I started reading true stories. And there's a lot of, like, you can go to any bookstore or something. There's true stories about sexual abuse as children. There's movies out there about trauma that happens to children and what uh, Three Faces of Eve, she wasn't sexually abused. True story. Uh, some of her videos of the lady that was actually on YouTube showing her different personalities, but it was a trauma, kissing her dead grandmother. And uh, Sybil, and then there were other ones. So I started saying that now in mental health counseling at the master's level. A master's counselor does not get training, educated experience in working with multiple personalities due to trauma. 
childhood trauma. That's your PhDs. And when you're in that system of mental health counseling, there's a pecking order. And you had to understand the World Health Organization and American Psychiatric Association and who's in charge, who's the boss, who sets all the, because we worked out of the book called the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, and how medicine worked, because that's what the mental health counselor steps into the world of medicine. You had to understand medicine, the language of medicine, which is numbers, to diagnose a broken arm has a certain number. Each depression has a certain number, and if depression with something else has a certain number. That's how the psychiatrist talked in the files and to the prescriptions, to the insurance company. Had to learn all that. So it's a different world, and then the, the psychiatrist basically, they go, hmm, something's biologically imbalanced. We're going to get some medicine to you. And you don't have a brain tumor, had not had a head concussion, uh, don't have brain cancer. So your chemicals that's all in the brain is all messed up. So if we balance that out with medicine, you'll be able to be clear thinking. Then I'll pass you on to the psychologist who used to work for the psychiatrist before they became independent. They used to do all the testing, neuropsychological testing, which I did a lot of for a psychologist. But the psychologists really didn't do counseling at first. They did the testing. Your licensed social workers who were medically oriented. Well, stepping into mental health counseling back in 1983-85, you were stepping into the medical quality assurance uh, department of the state, and that's where you got your license from. You had to have two a master's degree in certain things, two years of supervision by a licensed person. I had one by a clinical psychologist. You had to take a state test, make a certain score, which took me two or three times to take the state test because I missed it by one. It costs money. But at that time, back in the late 80s, you couldn't even get hired as a master's person in a community mental health center or private practice without your license. So you were forced to uh, take certain courses uh, and take the state test, get the supervision. So it was a long haul for most of us. And uh, then we could charge, I think at that time we were like charging $50 an hour. That was pretty good back then, or for 50 minutes. And then you, uh, and the goal of most people is they wanted to do the private practice because they could set their hours and make them more money. But my first job was in a rehabilitation institute where people had been physically, and that's a whole other ball game. I was on a team of social workers, physical therapists, occupational therapists, a physiatrist, that's a doctor, uh, working with stroke patients, head injury patients, anything that had to come out of the regular hospital and go into a rehab hospital. And we're part of a team, and you had I had to learn how to read doctor's notes and be with nurses and be with, uh, you know, when the, the codes go, you had to learn the codes when somebody's having a heart attack. So I had experiences that most therapists did not have. And then I volunteered and because I knew everybody's got issues, okay? And, okay, so you go into a drug rehab. Okay, we'll get you off the drugs. We can detox. But now we got to deal with the issues on why you did the drugs and alcohol and stuff. A lot of mental health counselors don't have the vast community volunteer stuff. 
uh, they don't have the experience, they don't get the training. So when I started, why did I start with the hardcore stuff? I don't know. It just, I was in church and they showed up and I go, okay. First time I ever saw something that it looked like it was a, um, Somebody was going crazy, and I was thinking, they better put that person in a straitjacket. And I heard somebody just say, I bind you up in the name of Jesus, and that person just got quiet. And they go, oh, my gosh. So my experience was I was thrown into the very deep, deep end with multiple personalities, witchcraft, spells, voodoo, anything that, you know, was spiritual and stuff. And I had no knowledge of it because you don't study that. And I ran into uh, this recently in a local community mental health center. I was doing a group I teach on that were three parts. We have a physical body. Everybody pretty much agrees with that. We have a soul. That's our mind, our will, our emotions, and our feelings. That's for the therapist. And then I believe we have a spirit, the part that lives on after death. And... uh, so I had this one precious young black man. He was so cute. And I'm in the crisis stabilization unit, people, you know, where the police have brought them. They're freaking out. I never was afraid of any of them, even though they're bigger than me, and some of them back me up against the wall and stuff, but I never was afraid. And um, and he said the reason he was there was because he felt he was under spiritual attack. And I go, what do you mean? He says, well, my parents... Uh, they worship voodoo. Let's go. And he says, I don't want to worship voodoo, and I think I'm under attack. Now, how do you address that as a mental health counselor? You're not taught about it. And then I would teach him, okay, you leave the crisis stabilization, you leave jail. The chaplains aren't going to be there with you. The chaplain that's visited you in the hospital, we're not going to be there. But the local community pastors, people, you know, that are Christians that are out there, and um, so we're here. Like, I, I've spent many time on the phone. And, like, of course, when you do hospital work, you spend, I spent the night in the hospital at my own special room. And you get called to the emergency in the middle of the room with gunshot wounds, people trying to commit suicide. So, oh, my gosh. You have to get up, and then you have to pray with people at 5 o'clock in the morning before surgery. And then you have to go tell the family the person died. And, you know, you deal with very intense emotions, life and death. And most pastors, maybe the senior pastor goes into the hospital with um, just his patients. But I had to learn to be with everybody, believers, unbelievers, everything. In nursing homes, I'm sitting with somebody in a coma, just holding their hand, talking to them like they're awake and you know, it's just, so I had so much at wanting to help people, it didn't matter what. I used to sit in a room and nursing home with people right out of the state psychiatric. Wonderful people, but they got some issues. But I had to do all that, so it would push me to study and, and read through stories. And so I wouldn't be afraid, and I'd get out of that little box. And I was more willing to do that than most I to call them pastors. So I didn't quite fit the way they did. So I've had a lot Hi, of experience. Hi there, Pastor Deborah. This is uh, Victoria. Huh? This uh-huh. is Victoria. You know, 
I haven't talked to you in a while, but I'm I'm really excited that you're on the show. Um, I'm the um, co-host um, on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, you know. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And um, I was really excited to see that you're going to be on the show tonight because we've talked. And I just want to mm-hmm. let people know that, uh, you know, the times that we talked over the phone, it was real helpful. I don't know, you have a very calming um, way about you that uh, that really helped me a lot. And uh, so I encourage people that um, I'm I'm sure just well, I haven't been able to watch YouTube videos. I've been crazy busy with I just moved into a new place last January, not this last January, but the mm-hmm. year before. So my whole life is like completely turned around different. It's like amazing miracle. <laughs> and mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah. Um, but you did help me through some really rough rough patches there, and I really just want to. Thank you very much for that, and I'm so glad that you're such a big part of NASCA, and uh, that that you come on, and you know, um, it's uh, it's so wonderful to see your dedication, and that you're still. It sounds like you're still learning, and and I think a lot of people are are help are in the helpful uh-huh. helping position, or whatever. They they just kind of get to a certain point, and it's like they don't want to learn yeah. anymore, you know. And right. It, I'm just really encouraged by you. That, that like well, you said, you. you know, if something comes up, you know, something comes up that that you haven't, you know, experienced before, or dealt with before, that that you go out and find about it, and like how you said that, you know, um, finding out what the truth is and stuff. And yes. for me, it was finding my inner truth because I'd been lied to for so long that, you know, or I lied to myself, just you know, rationalized mm-hmm. it so that I could get through it, you know. And yeah. when I quit drinking and using drugs, reality hit. You know, I said, uh, uh-huh. I say, I would say, you know, quitting drugs and alcohol is the easy part. Living yeah. life on life's terms and having all these memories come back, that's where the hard stuff comes in. And yeah. I like to tell people that, that's when we need some help, you know, and it's okay to reach out to somebody for help. I mean, I always thought that was a weakness. Uh-huh. So when, you know, um, what types of things do you do? And then I was also wondering if you could talk about um, – how you how do you take care of yourself? You said you know you're you're available twenty four okay. hours a day and you're doing all these different things and wherever you know God calls uh-huh. you. So so uh-huh. how can you tell us? Because um, a lot of us do that. Um, how do you take care of yourself to make sure that you know your spiritual um, you know center is is strengthened and you know you've got the strength to go out? Because I used to always think you know give to everybody first if there's any little bit of drop in extra time then I guess I could take care of myself, you know, and I had to I had to switch that. So I don't know. Could you talk a little bit about that? How you take care of yourself to sure. go out and know. Uh-huh. One of the first things is you have to discover, okay. Even though bad things happened to me as a child, I had it, everybody's had it. And it my life is a wreck. I had a purpose. It got sidetracked, it's hidden from me. Okay, you start there, and then you start asking questions. Why would this happen? Why would this person do that? You want to know why. You want to know. You become a truth seeker. Uh, my parents would read books. Um, oh, not. I think they're called fiction. You know, not true. I've always like. Right now, I'm watching Chinese historical dramas. I learn a lot. I watch true stories. I'm not into all the other stuff. Now, when I was making the transition, I was 
married, still married, had a child, worked a full-time job, had mother, father, brother, uncle, aunts. Okay? We went, everybody's dead now. There were some days I didn't think I'd survive because everybody, there was something in me because I had discovered I'm called to do something bigger than my my life, bigger. And how I discovered that was when I was a young kid, teenager, I would love and want to hang out with some of the most weirdest people. But in the South, now I'm not a Southerner, I was a military, I'd hang out with black people. But they weren't black to me because I was military. We, we hung out with people from all over the world. I hang out with people in wheelchairs who had physical disabilities or blind or something. And I would love them. I'd just be their friends. I didn't know why I loved them. I wanted to be, take them to the movie theaters, go out to eat, have fun. But I didn't know why. We see that now. Okay. And I'd give out that love to them and be friendly. And then I would tell people, God just would fill me back up with love during the night. All right. So I was starting to see my behaviors were created by love. And I was hanging out with some of the worst people, love drug addicts, you know, worked in there. Just, I don't know why. So I started discovering, not sports, didn't do any sports, but it care less about the world because in the military, you lived on a military base. You never were a part of the community. You didn't really get involved in sports. My brain is thinking, my father may us go overseas to help set nations and countries free. We are freedom fighters. We are here. We're trained. We're educated to help people who cannot help themselves. That was my atmosphere I lived in. But I had to know truth. I read Mein Kampf by Hitler. I wanted to know why he did what he did. When I am a teenager, I'm reading true stories about a guy that took a MiG jet and escaped Russia. Why? I'm reading about Peter the Great. I'm reading about all the kings and the queens and all of that in history. I love history. I also wanted to know people's nonverbal communication. You can talk to me with your eyes, your hands. Your, okay? I wrote a, a graduate paper on it. I wanted to know why people did what they did. And there was something in me from family stuff that loved, don't know why. From there, the only thing females had to do, now most men don't have this problem, was you be a counselor. My dad was a teacher. I taught a little bit in toy. Didn't want to do that. I wanted to help people. And the only way was counseling. And so you just proceed down that route. And while you're doing that, you know, you have opportunities. You just go through life and bad things happen. And through your life, I was always seeking God. I went to communes seeking God, Christian communes in Atlanta. I went to every kind of denomination. I read the Bible since I've been three. Uh, got the same Bible. So you were on like two routes the whole time, okay? Seeking this God, trying to find him somewhere, okay? But doing bad stuff. But yet also got this uh, military type, helping people. And So you go through your early adulthood and all of that gets thrown, you know, mixed up together, sort of like you're baking a cake, and these are the different ingredients. But you don't know because there's nobody talking in my family. There's no mentor, no uh, master to sit and be mentored under, okay? 
And in the church at that time, most of them were the women, but they don't do nothing. You can't be a pastor, you know, all that stuff. You didn't get anything. The only way you could be as a school teacher or counseling was slowly coming in, social work. I almost became a Ph.D. psychologist, but you had to take a class in working with lab rats and do that, and I didn't like that. So I chose to get it in something else. I got a summer job in a rehabilitation uh, place where people would go, and you're around blind, physically disabled, people driving car wrecks, can't walk. So you, for some reason, you everything that you do, even after child abuse, it's a little bit more, we'll say, of the the big picture. It's like you're doing a jigsaw puzzle or something. It's another little piece, and another little piece comes, and another little piece comes. But you don't know where you're going because you don't have the big picture yet. And a lot of people don't realize even getting having sexual child abuse in the Bible, God says, okay, that, I didn't want that to happen, but I'll take it. And what was meant for evil, he says, I will turn it around for good. But if you don't hear that from a pastor or church or read it or hear a testimony from somebody that's happened, you won't get that piece of the puzzle for your life. So here I go. I'm always going to church, seeking God. I don't know why. Seeking something, reading the Bible, didn't understand it. Okay, go through college, go through master's school, okay? Reading the Bible, going to church services, going to LGBT, going to their board of directors, meaning loving the people that most Christians don't love, hanging out with homeless people. Okay, why? I don't know. It's all a piece of the puzzle, and you're trying to get it. It's there, but as you go through experiences or you read a book or you read a true story, or you watch a true movie, okay? You go watch a movie by Mel Gibson, Hacksaw Ridge, about this young guy said, I'm, I'm not, can't carry a gun. But he became a medic, and he would try. There's too many testimonies of people in real life, okay? And you put the pieces slowly. If you get a mentor, it's sort of like in the Chinese dramas I watch, karate guys, they go get a master, and they sit as a student for years, and they learn that their job, they're going to learn the martial arts. That's what I tell guys in Walmart, big, big guys. I say, you know why you have those muscles? Why you're a man? You're to protect the women and the children, the innocent. You're to do help uh, provide for them. That's why you have those things, not to be bodybuilders and make money, because most men don't even know why they're a man. Why are they different? Why are their muscles different? They don't know why. Women don't know why they've got a womb. I became a spiritual mother. Every person I minister to, spiritual. Do you want, I'd like to be your spiritual mother. Because I found out that agape love is the anchor to the soul and the spirit. And they want a mama. Because the mama which is the first connection a child has. changing the diaper for months and months. All that baby hears is mama's voice. Mama's the anchor. Then eventually dad comes in. The dad usually is off working. 
Well, the baby doesn't get to know dad, so it gets an empty. Here's this, the arms are stronger, and most men don't know what they're to do, and they have no purpose. They have no idea their role as a male figure. I had to study all that. So in child abuse, that all gets messed up, gets distorted, okay? They don't know that they're to be a warrior, okay? So the pieces started coming together for me. Not only was I to help people, but I was to become their spiritual mother, their pastor, their teacher, their master, their disciplinarian, okay? And. Pastor Deborah, we can't hear you. Are you there, Pastor? Hmm. Victoria, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All of a sudden, uh, uh, Pastor Deborah, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Is she still on the board? Because. She is still on the board active, yes. Oh, well, maybe she had to get off for a minute. Yeah. um, Well, while we wait for her to come back in, do you have any comments or questions or anything? Yeah. Well, I I know that she was talking about, like, what your life purpose is and stuff, and I don't know, I floundered with that for a long time, but I did look back at the things I did, and, and, uh, like, I had a... MD Carnival, you know, when I was a kid, he thought, oh, that'd be great to help those kids, you know. And I had an MD Carnival and set it all up with my girlfriend and baked cookies and sold them and made little games up and stuff. And we had a schoolyard by our house that I put this whole big carnival on and stuff, you know. And we were getting all mm-hmm. this money and da-da-da-da-da, and I had tickets. And, I mean, just just amazing for, like, a 12-, 13-year-old to do, you know. And and all this money started coming in, and the girl that was doing with me says, boy, look at all this money. We could just take all this money. Nobody would even know it. And it just hit me like, what? How could, how could they even think that way? <laughs> and I, I didn't let her near a dime after that. You know, I, I grabbed the money she had in her hand that she was eyeing, you know, with huge eyes. I just grabbed out of her hand and told her to go do something else. <laughs> and so... I Pastor, Pastor Deborah has, has come back. I'm going to push the button for her. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm here. There you Hello. are. Hello. Uh, sorry to lost you. I don't know what happened, but I'm back. Oh, wonderful. Okay. okay. Wonderful. So what you were asking me is your whole life, okay, it's supposed to be a beautiful picture. And you're just, all right, child abuse came along, and all the pieces were mixed up, thrown away in the trash can, and you start with a, it's there, you just have to go look for it. And it takes years, and Victoria had asked me, how do I manage my life? During the early years, I did not get much sleep, because I had a life to live, a job, a family. I would read, read, read. I didn't watch television, okay? I don't watch it now. I don't watch the news. I don't watch all those shows that everybody, all those comedy shows. I, that's turned off. It's the Bible, Bible stories, the Word, the book. That's all I did. And then there were times when God would sit me at home and say, study. Two years. Stay at home and study. You need some healing. 
were study. I would read six and eight books at one time. So I did not watch, I didn't do normal activities that most people do. Didn't go out to eat, didn't go to shows, didn't go to the movies. Okay? I, I was a loner, I stayed at home, I studied, I studied. I was playing catch up because I knew God was in a hurry to reach these people in the cult. And I was playing. I had, and I knew those people were depending on me to study hard and learn. And then I took tests, all kinds of tests. I was shot at, poisoned, uh, all kinds of things, even from within the church. Test after test after test, trial after trial after trial. More books, more books. I didn't leave and lead a normal life. Didn't talk to husband. He wasn't called to this. My son's in school. I, I don't burden him. Didn't burden my family. This is me and God and the books and wanting the truth. So I became very uh, sort of like going off to a, a temple and cultivating is how you would call it in martial arts. And you study. And your whole life for years is just studying and learning things and taking tests and developing your character and understanding and looking up. What, sometimes I've watched in 1999, the Matrix movies came out, the trilogy. God made me write down every single word of the trilogy, watch it over and over again, the Matrix. I'd watch some of the Bible movies, I think, watch the Gospel of John for five years every Sunday, three hours a day. That is what I did. I did not lead a normal life. Didn't seek normal things like most people did. Didn't care about it. Because I cared more about those people who didn't know Christ Jesus, who needed healing. And if I didn't do my part, they would die. They're going to die. We're all going to die. But they're going to hell. And God would hold me accountable for it. And I knew that. So I spent I spent every day. Sometimes if I got two hours of sleep at night, that was good. Because then I had church and I had prayer and more study, more phone calls, more people. And so it wasn't easy. Because, you know, if I had started when I was younger, like we were all children or something, you know. Remember we said we'll use the gymnastics people when they start as little kids and they're practicing when they're real little. You'll be real good by the time you get to early teenage years. Go to the Olympics and win the gold medal. Well, I didn't get started like they did. Didn't have a coach or a trainer. Didn't have a pastor. That It was just God and me and the book. And so my life was a little different, and I had to grow up fast. I had to write and write and read and read and rewrite and write again and reread. Write down the scriptures. Look up the words in the dictionary. Look up the words in the strong concordance. Fast paced. And then, you know, uh, while you're doing that, you don't just get to study. You've got to live your life. So I found my ways, you know. I just sit in a rocking chair, walk outside, talk to the birds and the squirrels. My diet had to change, uh, uh, all kinds of things to stay healthy. Uh, I don't think about most of the things. that I, Like now, I don't watch TV. I do my computer work, my videos. I watch my historical dramas now, which God uses to teach me, to push me, to study and study and then read the Bible and then write. My life is not normal to get where I am spiritually and understand what I have. And if you were seeking to be a licensed mental health counselor, 
Okay, you're going to work a full-time job, okay, 8 to 5. You're going to be studying and reading books, being under then supervision for two years, even if you're married and have children, before you need to go take the test. Then you got to go pay lots of money. Then I had to have malpractice insurance. I had to pay for that. So to get somewhere, let's say you want to be healed, you got to work. You have to invest time, energy, your life. You can't live life like everybody else. You can't want life like everybody else because you're starting sort of like when you're in the hospital and you got a broken leg or you've had a stroke. You've got recovery time. And sometimes it takes a while. You know, like if you've even had a heart attack, they put you in cardiac rehab. And most people that have sexual abuse as children, they get through it. They don't know what happened. They don't know why. They don't know what's wrong with them. And untangling all of that and understanding what they're thinking and feeling and why they think the way they do and why they believe it takes, uh, we'll call it a mass counselor, a mama, explaining it to them. And it's not pretty to understand why, you know. Okay. Why it happens. Why then? And then I had to understand what happens during the sexual abuse trauma to the child, to the person who's doing it. That ain't pretty either. I had to understand what was happening, when it was happening, why it was happening. So I had to study, study, read books over and over and over and write and write and read. And even today, I don't think I've turned on my television probably in three months. I don't watch I watch the news to get the weather. Uh, I don't watch all those comedy shows. I don't go to the movies. I don't do any of that. Now, I'm different, okay, than most people. And um, a lot of times uh, I'm up all night. I'm crying for people who are dying. Islamists, Buddhists, Chinese, Scientologists, Mormons. Catholics who believe in Mother Mary and not Christ Jesus. I'm praying. The key and what's going on in the world, I have to pay attention to the weather. Earthquakes, tornadoes. Okay. I have to understand astrology of the occult. What's happening but we got tonight four planets aligning. Well, what's the enemy doing? What's be happening? I have to understand secret societies. And who's in them and what are they trying to do? I have to study and study and read and learn. and So my life is a little different. Now, I became a mother with one child, and then I had some uh, medical issues, so I could never have any more biological children. But God gave me spiritual children. So your whole life, you have a purpose. You have to learn to put the pieces together. You have to be a... Can you still hear me okay, Miss Anne? Yes. Okay. Yes, I can hear you. You have to be a truth. Okay, you got to be a truth seeker. You have to know why the perpetrator did what he did. Okay. Why did why did they do that? So I was always watching and reading true stories, biographies about people and their lives, and uh, watching about uh, testimonies. And so I was wanting to know, well, how did that person change? What caused him to change? I was seeking. I read true stories, some of them very horrible, about child abuse, horrible stuff that happens. 
I watch the movies if they're out there, true stories, not fake ones. I do research, lots of research on YouTube, Google, research, more research, because I knew that I, God wanted me to grow up, mature. It's like we got to get you through elementary school, middle school, high school, graduate school of spiritual stuff and how to be a pastor, how to be a teacher, how to be a mother spiritually. And I knew that. So I came into agreement with God. You got me. And that's all I've ever thought about since about 1995. Most life and people and what everybody does means nothing to me. I could care less about it. And um, so my life now, I eat healthy. Um, Got a pacemaker because I got an infection. But I try to get the weight off, try to eat healthy, try to get back to, you know, more vegetables and fruit and stuff like that. I rest when I need to. If I need to take a nap during the day, I take a nap during the day and um, that kind of thing. So does that help answer your question? I think Victoria had that question. Yeah, you covered it quite intensely. (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah. And um, so most people who help, like a doctor, when you get hurt, you go to a doctor. You expect him to have given his life to studying. He doesn't have a normal family life. He spent many years studying, reading, okay, being in the hospital, doing emergency calls. And when the time comes and you need them to diagnose what's wrong with you, or meet you in the emergency room, you feel safe. You feel you're in good hands with the nurses and the doctors because they've spent their life to help you when the time comes. You don't know the the life that most of the doctors live. It's not normal. They spent so many years in school and testing since they were in early high school. But when the time comes and you need them. You get in the emergency room and you go, I'm in your hands. And they are ready with kind words. They are ready 24 hours a day to help you. But you don't ask them about their lives and why they're, they don't, they're not, they don't live normal lives. They don't watch all the stuff you do. They don't go to the games you do. They don't go out to eat. They don't hang out. They, life is different for pure professionals that help people. They live differently. And they have to control their emotions and their lives. And that's all they think about is helping people. Of course, it's medically. And many of your therapists, like policemen are like that, firemen. What What do they have that they will go into a burning building? Or a policeman go in and have to kill somebody? to save other people. I was joining them and the, the military man who would have to shoot other people to save a nation, a city, a country from evil people. But it was all put together slowly. Peace, you know, event that happens in your life, who you were born into. Oh, yeah, bad things happen to all of us. And we don't all start off good. But you can get it back. That's what healing is all about. Putting the pieces of this puzzle together, finding out what your purpose is, 
who you are going to school. And when you go to healing, you're in school. And if you're with the right type of, we'll say, therapist or counselor, the healing will come. And love will be restored. And you'll start feeling so sad for the person that abused you that their life must have been so horrible that they would do this to a child going on. But then when you look back through history, you'll learn child abuse has been, it's been around forever, slavery, selling kids into pornography, nothing new. Orphans, children abused, nothing new. Because it's part of the human heart. It's part of child abuse. It's child satanic in nature. Okay? Take the innocent and pervert them and hurt them. Okay? And I had to learn all of that. And I had to learn what happens to these children. They leave their bodies. They disassociate. They create other parts. I had to learn how to talk to these other parts of a child. I had to learn that they leave their bodies. Okay, that wasn't taught in mental health counseling. So I had to study. And I could not be a part of most of life like most people are. Still not. Very content to be at home. I learned a lot in the community and volunteering, seeing people everywhere need help. Even the therapists need help. Okay? And your policemen after they they need help after they do stuff. And there a lot of healing needs to occur for a lot of people. For many different reasons. And uh, like right now, we'll say in the social justice community, most people need a lot of healing for what happened to their ancestors. And that doesn't seem to be happening. So there's a lot of different areas that we need healing in. It's just not sexual abuse. So I'll stop there and, and let you guys talk and see if anybody's on the line. Thanks, Pastor Deborah. This is Annie. And we don't have a caller. We have Victoria and Annie and Pastor Deborah. And if listeners would like to call in, I'm going to give the phone number for that. It's 646-595-2118. Give us a call and take part in the conversation. Pastor Deborah, I have a question for you going back to an earlier topic. How do you help people die? The reason I ask is that I have a good friend who's dying, and I want to know how can I help her go through this. Okay. That is one of the areas most people do not go. I volunteered with hospice. You get a lot of training in your, you know, educational process. And you learn how to talk. And most of the people there, you first have to understand everybody's going to die. Then you have to have a belief that there is something more. And then through the hospice training, which is two years you volunteer for, you help the people cross over. And so your belief in eternity, another life, Learning how to hold somebody's hand, look in their eyes, tell them goodbye, it's okay, I'll see you later. How to talk to somebody who's, say, in a a coma, but their spirit is still there. I've helped people die who don't want to die, but the time was ready. 
that they needed to let go. You, you, if you're a Christian, you try to. I had this one guy come to me and he said, "I'm dying." I go, "Yes, I know you are." He was on the phone, I think, and he knew I was a Christian and a pastor. And he says, "But I'm afraid because I don't believe like you do." I said, "That's okay. I will believe for you." And there's somebody that believes in you. And he paid the price for you on the cross. And he already forgave you. So between him and I and our belief in you and that we love you, we'll get this job done. And I'll see you later. You go ahead and go with him. You have to learn that. You have to experience. Hospice is a great training ground. have to help people learn how to die holding their hands, looking in their eyes, helping them to say, it's okay to go now. I, with my dad, I did that. Uh, he had loved him. My mother, she was gone. Uh, and he wanted to see her. I said, it's okay. Your house is taken care of. You go to your next duty station. Your wife is waiting. So you learn that military is sometimes the spouse. One of the spouses goes ahead of the other till the house is sold and everything's Okay, and then you can go. Other people, my mother, she needed prayer. She needed forgiveness from her son. She got a bath. She had a military chaplain say a prayer over her. Everybody's different. But you have to become comfortable with dying, even a child. Okay? I've had little children. Okay? How would you Mm -hmm. talk to a little infant? Doctors and nurses get that training. But most of us, we would just woo-hoo and cry, and we don't have, you don't have the strength, you don't have the knowledge, but a pastor has to have that. So I volunteered, and I paid money to go into a hospital to learn how to deal with it. I volunteered to mm-hmm. do a, uh, I think a social worker was doing a group of about stress, grief management. You have to learn that. I volunteered and took free classes in the community to learn how to do things. Okay? Most people don't get that. Therapists don't get that. There's no requirements for a therapist to go volunteer anywhere. You just get book knowledge and get your license and go to work. I was different. I was different. Now, with NASCA... Okay, we have a lot of people that are, we'll say, well on their way to healing, older people. They've walked a long life. They have a lot of information they can pass on to the younger ones about, hey, I tried this and that did not work. I tried this kind of thing, but this worked over here. But I stayed on the path, even though this therapist didn't work out or this way didn't work out. Or I went through drug and alcohol. But that, I still had to go through the mental health work. And I needed some pastoring, and I needed some spiritual stuff. So I was reading, you know, NASCA volunteers can say, I read books, okay? Uh, I watched videos, listened to testimony. So you have a way to, because remember, younger people, it's happening to them. Now your politicians and your legislators, uh, they're trying but what happens is you got to understand the legal system. So when I volunteered to be a child advocate, 
Uh, you got two hardcore weeks of hardcore pictures of it, child abuse. Then you can go sit in the family law courtroom. I was the eyes and ears. I was ordained and uh, legally the judge's eyes and ears for the children. Because the children had a lawyer. The parents had a lawyer. You study law. You had to learn how to write. So the judge, because I was there for the judge. I had to sit, I sat in, I would go down and sit in family court and observe, make notes, watch the system at work. Then I found out they had a state, at this time it was free, for adults victims of crime. It was a five-day hardcore training by the state of Florida, by the state attorney general, and you became ordained sort of by the attorney general to be a state's victim's advocate. I had five days of crime. Oh, horrible, heavy duty stuff. I did that. Why? Because you're dealing with people who are at adult levels, domestic violence, child abuse, you know, all kinds of that. So you have to be knowledgeable to help people. You have to be compassionate. You have to have a, a quiet voice, not laughter, not irritating. I had to practice. I had to learn to practice how to speak on YouTube, how to record myself and talk into a camera. It didn't do so well at first. I had to learn to listen to my voice. I had to learn how to speak to people on the phone, in the hospital, talk to them in the emergency room where they're trying to pump their stomachs out, talk to the nurses who were crying, the doctors, the emergency. I had to learn. I had to be supervised. They didn't release you in the hospital. You were followed around by somebody else who's already passed it. They listened to everything you said when you're talking to a patient. They're following you before they release you part of this program. So I used to being supervised. Having people sit and listen to my counseling sessions in order to get nationally clinically certified. You have to tape record your sessions. And they listen to you. So I was used to that, being supervised, mentored, having people over what I said, how I said it, talking to me. I had district I had social pastors in a church listen to my sermon, critiquing it. I put myself in those positions because I said, I don't know how to do this. I want to learn. Teach me. Not many people will do that because they think, oh, I know how to do it. Okay. And I had to study triggering, telling your story. It's wonderful to write a book and tell your story, but what's the end point of it when it's over with? Okay. If somebody that's been sexually abused reads your story, what is the end? What will they get out of it? What's the goal for it? So I had to learn how to write. I had to learn how to edit. I had to learn that that there was a bigger purpose at the end of every story. Like every video I have, there's an altar call. I do YouTube shorts, less than 60 seconds. And go, I'm looking at you. I can see what's inside going on. Is this you? I'm looking. Other people can see your thoughts. You know that. I'm questioning people to take a look at themselves. 
and what they're doing and thinking and what what's important in their lives. Some people just, you know, they don't really care. And so I'm a little different than most people. So I'll leave it there and see if you guys have any questions. Thank you. Um, wow, you have so many trainings. I'm really impressed with that. I, I didn't even ever think about, well, I could go and get trained more to be a better advocate, which is what I, I, I don't do a lot of advocacy. But, okay. Mm-hmm. Advocacy is sort of, we'll put it as like a big umbrella. Under it you have legal advocates, you know, victims advocates that work with district attorneys and they're there. A crime has been committed at both the adult level and the child's level. Well, that's one training. I did a, a learned how to do helpline crisis work in college to learn how to talk to people who were in a crisis, in a suicide, on the phone. You have to have that. Okay. Then you have to have mm-hmm. what is abuse. I, t- I took everything. I would look in the paper, everything that had free training, okay, that was going on. And then if they ask you to volunteer, I, I, I agree. Some doors were opened. Some doors were closed. If I wasn't working a full-time job, I volunteered because I believed in getting education. I volunteered in the church. I would go through listening to nurses. I had to be comfortable with um, and at the time, you don't know that you're putting a piece in a puzzle, and this is part of your training, and then that'll end, and then you go volunteer and get another training, and okay, and, and then that. I went through the National Alliance of Mentally Ill, NAMI. They have a family training. They have weekly meetings. You go to them. You learn to hear what people are saying about their family with mental illness. To go get training free if it's free. That's what I wouldn't gonna pay, you know. but the chaplaincy because you know they have chaplains in hospitals, and um, I didn't want to work in a hospital, but I wanted the training, and it, you know, I was willing to pay money. I think I went five days a week, maybe or three days a week for months, and I got a certificate. Okay, everything is important, okay? Where do you volunteer in an outreach ministry? I've volunteered with many churches. I go help feed the poor. I go down there, and if there's free training, I go. Okay? And that's all I did. And there's plenty of training in every city with free things, and you learn. Go serve some food. I volunteered also in a homeless shelter. Uh, As a pastor, I could give the lunchtime devotional talking to homeless people. I had about 10, 15 minutes to pray with them, teach them a little bit. you got to get up in front of people. You've got to learn how to talk on a microphone. You've got to learn how to be recorded. Okay? Nowadays, you have to learn how to talk at home on your, you know, and do proper YouTube stuff and talk with cameras. And uh, I've written books. I just don't sell them. I've written. I write, 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 write. I was never called to make money. It was all to be given away free. And so that's what I did. And um, so a lot of advocates, you know, they, um, they're they spending a lot of time still trying to get healed, which is good. And they might have a good therapist, and maybe they're with them for years. 
And maybe that therapist can help them in one area, but they need some help in another area. So it's okay to have many helpers in your life, you know. And if you pay attention to how we as children, we had a kindergarten teacher for nine months, and then it was time to move up to first grade and second. We had different teachers. We learned different things, okay? And we uh, continued throughout, you know, our early education. Some of us, you know, we did sports and stuff. I never did. I had the military influence. So I'm comfortable watching military uh, uh, World War II movies. Mm. Buy movies. Now, I want to stop you there. That was interesting that you say, you know, we go to kindergarten nine months and we go to first grade. We got one teacher all throughout, and then all of a sudden we get to high school, or I mean middle school. We've got all these Uh different teachers, you know, because a lot of people go, Uh well, I do this one thing. You know, I go to therapy. It's like, but there's so much more that you could be getting, you know, or like you said, helpers, you know, like for me. That's right. I've got, you know, I've got somebody that does my housing stabilization. Um, Uh I've had personal care attendants. I've had mental Mm -hmm. health workers coming in, um, homemakers, Uh things like that, you know. And, And we all have these needs and stuff. And I know a lot of people... I work with, um, it's just giving them permission to, to allow themselves to get the help they need and, and to accept mm-hmm. it. You know, um, I used lot, to think uh-huh. I was weak. That's right. You know, I used to think I was weak if I had somebody, you know, if I had to ask somebody for help. And I think we're getting to a point that we're getting better about, you know, asking people and saying, hey, I need some mental health help. Or, you know, I'm, I'm really having spiritual issues here. Or, you know, um, but I wanted to get back to Annie with, um, first of all, with um, your friend that's dying. My um, daughter did a hospice for her foster dad, then her foster mom, and then my mother. And, you know, she just kind of plunged herself in there and and just had the kind heart enough to be able to go through it with them, you know, because a lot Mm -hmm. of people that are dying and really sick, because I was, um, you know, diagnosed with untreatable inoperable breast cancer was told I was dying and there was so many people that just didn't want to come near me because they didn't know what to say and sometimes it was just like Pastor Deborah was saying just sitting there and putting your hand in their hand and just saying you know it's going to be okay you know and I'm here I'm here you know well here's the thing okay listen Victoria okay here's the difference you're saying it's going to be okay no they're dying Mm -hmm. you would say sweetie uh, and I'm, I'm here, here okay. okay. I'm, I'm here with you. I meant. I didn't mean yeah, it's going to yeah. be okay. I mean, I'm, it's okay. Yeah. I'm here. But that's I mean, right. People are not comfortable with that part of life. Okay. And you and in helping people, we'll we'll use uh, child advocacy. When you are sexually abused, you disassociate. You form another person personality. Have you? And the one that gets abused is still there. Uh, Joyce Myers used to say, her husband would say, living with Joyce is like living with 28 different people. To learn, you could start with hospice, how to help somebody die, a disassociative part that was sexually abused, okay, needs to die. You'll see that when you watch The Three Faces of Eve with Joanne Woodward. She had the trauma of kissing her dead grandmother. She had to form a part which was Eve Black, tough, 
who became a dancer and stuff. And then there was the weak one, Eve White. But when uh, she found this man, not her husband, who loved her even though she was sick and would be with her, she created Jane. And they all three came into the psychiatrist's office. Eve White said she didn't know what was wrong, but she thought she was dying. Eve Black came in and gave her favorite dress away to the psychiatrist. Said she thought that she was going away too. And Jane came out. I have had to learn how to help people to let go of those mm-hmm. traumatic parts of them and mm-hmm. say goodbye, whether they're children. Mm-hmm. Hospice is the beginning of some people might get it from in their family. Other people are more hard-hearted. They are tough. Even though a soldier can kill somebody, they can bend down and hold their hand. Chaplains go to war and help people die on the battlefield because they know there's something after that. So you have to have some strong beliefs that there is life after death. And it's just a transition, it's a passing through, and some people are frightened, and some people need help, okay? Now, in sexual abuse, we have multiple personalities, and you have to learn how to help those personalities sort of let go and yeah, go on. Yeah, I, okay? I had 31. I had 31 personalities, and mm-hmm. what helped me was a psychologist I've seen intensely for 13 years, plus a support group with other survivors. Mm-hmm. And what had to happen is each um, personality yep. had to come out and tell their part of the story. And mm-hmm. that they was the only different part. That yep. when they all learned each other's stories and, mm-hmm. and could, it was like putting a puzzle together, you know, that a yep. puzzle mm-hmm. that all the pieces had blown in the wind, you know, yep. and they didn't but know about so each other. Okay. You know? the, the reason that and they didn't happened. die, they just, they didn't die mm-hmm. because they were all parts of me. But well, they did die. The one, they all came together, and well, that's, that's a who form I of death. Oh. That's a form. The reason yeah. when I ran into that, I go, God, what is going on? He said they are multiple because I am multiple. I am whatever I need to be. Uh-huh. You're His gift to every human. That when that trauma comes, one, you leave your body. The spirit. Mm-hmm. Two, multiple personalities get formed so that the core part of you doesn't die. It right. lives in brokenness, mm-hmm. okay, but it's still alive. That's a gift from well, God. They don't even call it and multiple personality disorder anymore. They no, call it dissociative just, identity disorder. But you know what they? I know. It, it, but here's the thing: they consider separate. they consider mm-hmm. it in childhood, a defense mechanism against the trauma. And then they say, now you're an adult and you're not being traumatized, so you don't need them. But they know it's a defense, it's a protection. Mm -hmm. They just don't know where it comes from. They don't know how to do it. Well, I think it's amazing that our mind is so miraculously made that, Mm -hmm. that it could even... Be able to do that to protect you, mm-hmm. um, and, and, the thing and, is in, and that you don't okay. you know um, fall apart until you know. Yes. And, and these memories didn't start coming back, and I all started having all these memories of flashbacks 
And I told my therapist, I'm getting worse. She said, you're getting better. She said, because you're in an environment with your spouse that you can trust, you feel safe, you feel safe here. And they finally can come out and tell their stories, and they weren't able to do that before. So actually, you're getting better. And I said, well, I'll come back next week, and you can tell me the same thing. Well, that's the same thing. Okay. Well, here's that's how therapists look at healing. God looks at it different. He says, hey, I've thrown that trauma in the sea of forgetfulness. Forget about it. I'll take that part, that disassociative part, and I'll bring it up into my love, and it will just be gone. Okay? He he works differently than therapy, but therapy helps. But see, that wasn't taught at master's level, okay? That wasn't taught in normal pastoring, working with that. Well, I and tried. I tried, is, the, I tried the religious and, and that. No, really, I didn't say. It did not work. <laughs> no, no, religious. Well, the Jesus thing didn't work for me as well. I'm going to say. Well, Jesus is not God. He is, and he's not. It's the spiritual part. So when you get stuck on Jesus, you're stuck on the dirt and you're stuck on the outside. Therapy, okay? They're trying to bring healing, a oneness. You so you can go on with life without all the issues that come along with it. But what happens, most people, even in NASCA, they don't talk about the disassociative identity disorder. They don't talk about the many different ways of healing. What's the purpose? Okay, so now, Victoria and Annie, you've got sexual abuse, you get healing. Now what? What's the goal? What is your purpose now that you're healed? What's your purpose? And a lot of times people don't get that training to know your purpose is. So I'll be quiet. Just about you got about eight minutes to close out the show, Miss Annie. Well, thank you very much, Deborah. You gave a lot of information, and uh, it's just it's so wonderful that you know you get to help people and uh, your dedication to survivors and. You know, we really want to acknowledge uh, other people for the work they do, too. Um, and, and you know, you were mentioning um, you could do learning, you could do this and that. You know, I tell people, you know, yeah, just go down to the food shelf and, you know, um, it, it's so much, fills your heart so much just to be able to know you're feeding somebody that's hungry or you're helping at a closed clothing shelf where people are coming in that need clothing. Or, you know, um, just any kind of volunteer work can make your heart feel so good, make you feel so good, and it can rejuvenate you. Well, here's what happened when you do that volunteer work, okay? Mm -hmm. You are meeting with people that need help. You are practicing helping skills. Maybe you get to pray, hold their hand, (laughs) speak kindly. Where in your normal life at work or family, you don't get that opportunity. You're building experience. Just doing that, handing out a plate, saying, being around people that need it, you have to practice a different type of character, personality, different words, different uh, tone of voice. Sometimes you get to pray with people. You get to listen to their stories. People need to do that. And I realized that just going to college, you didn't get that. So I no. volunteered in everything I could yeah. volunteer in, church services, feeding yeah. the poor, homeless shelters, jail, whatever. 
long as it doesn't cost me a lot of people that say, when I win the lottery or if I make a lot of money, I'm going to help poor people. And you know what I tell them? You can help poor people right now. All you got to do, sometimes, you know, if you don't have the time to go even volunteer, you walk down the street and say hello to somebody and smile at them. I said, you don't know. They might not not have to You're not listening to them. You're not listening. They are saying, I will only help people if I have money. And that's their rational excuse for Mm -hmm. doing the lottery. Is, uh-huh. And to be a good person. And interesting. Okay. I like that. Uh-huh. See, Thank you're you trying to, to, they're off, they're on another plane of thinking. And they're telling you, I would do this wonderful thing and I'd be a one, if I only had money. So I have to do this to be that. And you're trying yeah. to tell them, okay. So you have to, li- you have to learn to listen to people. Mm-hmm. Okay, when they do that. Okay. See, what I would do in that case and would run into them at Walmart, I'd say, let me pray Uh for you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, open their heart up that they would want to help people without money, that they would want to give a a smile, that they would just want to say thank you to the Walmart cashier, or they would want to say hello to the greeter. Or say, God bless you. See, I would turn it and I'd put those words in prayer for those people. Sure. And it have nothing to do. See, that's what you call advocacy. You're, you get involved in the situation and you want to talk about it. And you want to talk it out. Sometimes a prayer from somebody is more important because it kind of pricks their conscience when they say that. So healing is so important. And NASCA needs to keep you know, talking about it, having people on that can point different healing ways. Uh, and there's different times of your life, your seasons, you know, that you need a therapist. Sometimes you might need it for years. Sometimes you need this. Sometimes you need uh, diet information. Sometimes you just need quiet time. So throughout, okay, like I said, God set me at home for two years. I go, for what? He said, for healing. I go, from what? He said, how about 30, 40 years? So I had to sit at home, no volunteer uh-huh. work, no community yeah. stuff, read the Bible, do the yard. That's, and he, he set me down. Okay. Sometimes you have to do that. You have to come away from TV, away from the community, and just be with a book maybe or just quiet music or something. Just have quiet time and close your eyes and let God do its work. So he has different seasons, different times, different ways, and he has different people. I've been on juror duty, and the judge has got the Bible on on her desk, and there's questions out there, and they're praying. You just don't know it. Well, you will have some strange adventures, sort of, and if you volunteer, and uh, and so that's how I, when Philip asked that question. You know, um, mm-hmm. some people's journey to helping people is done this way. Some it's done that way. Some it's done that way. Some it's done this way. Some okay, and that's all up to. In my case, was up to God. He knew what He wanted me to learn, and what He wanted me to do, and He blessed most of it. And I was in a hurry, so for years that's all I did. 
Now, other people start early in life, okay, and they know what they want to do, and it's a slow uh, process that they go through. Mine was a little different, that's all. All right, it's 8.28. You've got two minutes to close us out, and I'll see you next month. That's Thank right. you so you much, Pastor Deborah. We also have all our shows are archived, and you've been on many times every month, and we really appreciate it. So people will want to hear some more uh, insightful information from Pastor Deborah. Please go back in the archives. There's so many wonderful stories as well and professionals. Well, one thing I do is I take my audio, I make a video, and I put it on the YouTube channel, and each one of them is getting over 30 hits. How, okay. um, wow. how can we, yeah, quick, can you jump in and tell people how they can find you or um, what they look under to on, find you? Say, okay, on, on YouTube, okay, on YouTube, it's just called The Hidden Kingdoms. Then there's a website, www.agapilove.org. Everything is podcasted out, but the, the video, I just take the audio and I make a video uh, with the uh, NASCA logo and I put it up on the YouTube channel, The Hidden Kingdoms. I just had 33 people hit and listen to it. So it's going out, and it's going out on your archives, and it's being podcasted out, so it's going out. Thank you, Pastor. That's all the time we've got, and thank you, everyone, for listening tonight. I'll take us out with the music. Another tomorrow, because that's gone